This is the Anderson Business Advisors Podcast, the show for real estate investors, stock traders, and business owners. We help you keep more of what you earn and protect what you've built. Let's get started. Hey guys, Toby Mathis here, and today I'm joined by attorney Josh Robertson, and we're going to be going over. Josh, what are we going to be going over? Give me the thumbnail sketch. Yeah, so today we're going to talk about three things. Uh, We're going to talk about three different ways to keep your name off of things or keep your assets anonymous or your ownership of the assets anonymous so creditors can't find you. Yeah. And, and, and I'll just say from doing this for 26 years, 27 years, whatever it's been, one of the most effective tools, but not the only tool is making sure that people can't see what, what you have so that you don't inadvertently make yourself a target. Because one of the beautiful parts about being uh, wealthy and then people knowing it is that they like to try to take your stuff. And so if we can at least keep them from from not knowing what stuff you have or, or, or even whether you're wealthy, that's, that's, that's half the battle. The other half, of course, is actually having a plan that works, but we'll go over that. All right. So Josh, three things we're going over. Jump into number one. Sure. The first thing, and it goes back to exactly what Toby just mentioned is you want to control all of the stuff that you have and own none of it. Now, what does that mean? That means that you want to own the thing that owns the thing. So. What we do with asset protection structures and in order to anonymize your ownership and control of the asset is we create business entities, usually LLCs, not always, but you own the business entity and then the business entity owns the asset. Could be any type of asset, could be real estate, could be equipment, could be intellectual property, could be anything, just a whole bunch of cash, whatever. Now, the way that you anonymize your ownership of this is by understanding how you can own the asset not look like you own it. And that goes back to how you file the LLC. You don't want to file your own LLC because then your name is listed in the state database as the organizer, the person that set up the LLC. You don't want to list yourself as the registered agent because then even inadvertently, you've put yourself out there as saying, hey, this is who I am. This is where I am because registered agents have to have addresses. And this is when I'm going to be there because registered agents have to be available during business hours. And you don't want any of that. So instead, what you do, you hire a company like Anderson to set up your entity, work as your registered agent, and list you as the manager of the LLC. What's the difference between a member of an LLC and a manager of an LLC? Very simple. A member of an LLC is an owner of the LLC, while the manager could be anybody. Could be me, could be Toby, could be, you know, Tom, Dick, or Harry off the street. Manager doesn't equal owner, member does. And understanding that difference already, Puts you leaps and bounds ahead of creditors that are trying to figure out what you have to hold you liable. Yeah, and I, I think it is. You, it was very well put. But number one is making sure that the asset that somebody might want to take isn't just sitting there in your individual name, so that all they have to do is attack you. You want to make sure that you have control of something, but that it's in a nice vehicle or vessel that protects it, and more importantly, protects you from it and it from you. Like a lot mm-hmm. of folks miss that second part where, hey, if I'm driving down the car and I have a car accident, the last thing I want is to put all my other assets in jeopardy. There's ways to prevent that. And uh, make sure that you're not the one who's got your name all over it. Having a third party, like a lawyer, that's what the wealthy do. The the poor, unfortunately, love to go out and set things up and make it really easy for them to be tracked. All right. So that's really well put. What's number two? Sure. So number two is just using the various strategies that you have available to you in a creative way to enhance the anonymity, enhance the protection. Remember, what we're looking at here is if 
people don't know what you have, they can't attack it, right? They can't go out and find it and find you by looking for your assets. And so one thing that we talk about frequently, you've likely heard Clint Coons, one of the other partners here at Anderson, talk about it, is using a land trust to anonymize the ownership of real estate that you have. It does a lot of other things as well. How this works is you buy a piece of real estate and you transfer it into a land trust. And with that transfer into a land trust, your name as the owner is off of the record. However, many times you still have to be listed as a trustee of the trust. Well, how do we get that? How do we get rid of that? How does that play into this whole idea of anonymity? And the easiest thing to do in this situation is to use what we just talked about, having a manager of an LLC controlling the LLC, controlling the actions of the LLC, but not giving any hints as to who owns the LLC. And so what we do is we use these two strategies together. We create a a land trust that's going to own title to the property, and then we appoint an LLC as the trustee of the land trust. You just have to have a person under the law to serve as a trustee. Well, entities are considered people under the law. They are separate legal formations that can make their own decisions, can have their own assets, can contract for things, can get take debt, and can manage other entities like a land trust. So if you cre- if you have someone create an entity for you where you are the manager of that entity, then you create a land trust and have the entity as the trustee or the manager of the land trust and you are the manager of the LLC. Here again, we've implemented the previous strategy just in a layered approach where you still control all of those assets, but nobody can see that on a publicly available record that you control that asset. So it's a variation on a theme, but it's an important one because it shows that as you start to understand the legal principles behind things or work with people that do, what you can do is put structures in place that from an outside perspective look very, very complicated. But from an inside perspective, it all just lands with you controlling everything in different ways. And uh, this is a good time to put like the structure that you just laid out there may not even have an extra tax return. For example, it could just it could have zero impact on you having to do anything from a tax standpoint. The very structure you laid out there may cost, you know, a a state filing fee once a year on the Mm -hmm. LLC, the land trust or nothing. But from a uh, from an outside standpoint, somebody looking at you, let's say it's a tenant, you got you know, let's say you have 10 rental properties, they can't see that you own 10 rental properties. And therefore, if something bad happens, like one tenant gets mad at you because you tossed them out because they were dealing drugs or because they were messing up the apartment or your your, your unit and there, there was mold in there or whatever, and they're thinking of, hmm, I want to go get, get even with that landlord. They don't go grab a lawyer who sees, oh, Josh owns 10 properties. Let's, let's shake that tree. There's money that's going to fall out of it. What they want to see is, oh, there's really nothing to get here. Move on next. And that works really, really well. Some some folks don't realize how well that works, but it's yeah. extraordinarily effective in preventing frivolous lawsuits and just mm-hmm. not having to be annoyed. Or if you do get sued, it gets settlements done very, very quickly because there's, there's no big win at the end of the day that they can see. And uh, we don't want to underestimate that. All right, Josh, what's number three? So you said there was three ways, and I'm really curious. You just hit two. Mm -hmm. What's the third way? So the third way is going to be 
important for all different types of asset classes, and it's splitting up ownership and use. So what do I mean here? Well, let's take a construction company. Let's take somebody who's going out and developing land. They have earth movers. They have dump trucks. They have excavators. They have lots of very heavy machinery that's worth hundreds of thousands of dollars. No, no hyperbole there, right? That's a very large target for somebody uh, who has big machines that can cause a lot of damage to a lot of people. That's a really big liability target. So having all of those assets in one entity can cause a problem. In fact, I'm working with a client right now who just settled a lawsuit uh, because he had equipment that was used and unfortunately somebody was injured and that he had to settle. Now, gratefully, he settled because he had his business structured in such a way with with liability insurance that could cover that. But because of his experience there, he's come to us and he says, how do I, how do I structure this better? How do I do this better? And it's very simple. All you do is you break out ownership and use of the property. So instead of having one LLC where you have all of the construction equipment and all of the operations and everything gets done in that one LLC, what you do is you have a separate LLC that's owned in a completely different way over here, not with this LLC that owns the bulldozer. And you have a separate LLC that owns the excavator. You have a separate LLC that owns the dump truck. And you you decide in consultation with a professional how many LLCs you want, what pieces of equipment you want where, and you move the equipment from the current LLC owner, if this is your situation, into the entity working with other tax professionals and the like to move it in a way that's not going to you know, get you absolutely decimated on taxes. But you move that equipment over to other LLCs. And then you lease that equipment back to the use company. And that way, the company can still use all of the equipment that it needs to get the job done. But you're getting money in to do the work. You're being hired to do work, to move earth, dig holes, what have you, grade, mm-hmm. grade land. And then you pay that money from this entity to another entity for the use of the equipment. What does this do? Well, first, it gets those large, very valuable assets out of the construction entity. So that construction entity doesn't look like a prime target because it has hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of equipment sitting around Mm -hmm. that's just waiting for someone to come after you. Second, you get cash that would usually be sitting in that entity out of that entity. You still use it, you still control it, but it's not here waiting for someone to come and get a judgment against you. Now, some real estate folks might be saying, that's all well and good, Josh, but how does this relate to what I'm doing? Well, it's the same thing, right? You have a property management company say that you enter into a property management agreement with between the LLC that owns a property and that company. Same exact principle. This, the property manager stands out front, rents to tenants, gets the checks, remits payment from the tenants to the owning LLC. Same principle applies. And you see here that with one little tweak, it's not a very difficult tweak. It doesn't have a lot of tax implications usually. And those tax implications are able to be planned around, you can protect a lot more of your assets. And just like this client that I'm working with said, it just having the discussion and knowing that there's a strategy that we're working to implement helps him sleep better at night. And that's great. That's what we want. We want him to be able to do what he's doing and not worry about someone coming after him and taking everything away. Yeah. And I think uh, what I, I, I would reiterate a couple of things and maybe expand on it slightly of what you just said, because it's it, it is super effective. But where you're dealing with third parties who you may have exposure to, you don't want that to be sitting there holding a bunch of asset. And that asset, as Josh has put out, could be equipment, 
It could be vehicles. It could be planes. It could be cash. And this is where it gets really interesting. So for example, if I'm a landlord, you might be saying, oh, there's no way to escape that liability. Well, actually there is. The, the liability of the let, the, of, of the lessor, like who's put that, that, that property into the public and is dealing with a tenant and that tenant is using that property. If there's a lien against it, in other words, I don't just give it cash, mm-hmm. but instead I loan it cash. Now my, the exposure is the equity, not mm-hmm. the entire value of that property anymore. Now I would, my, you know, if I have a third party entity, maybe it's my, my uh, safe asset entity is what we call it, but it's, it, it, it's loaning the money over to one of my other LLCs. And now all of a sudden my exposure is greatly diminished. If I am a construction company, just like Josh just eloquently put out and I have $2 million worth of equipment and something happens in that, they're going to take my equipment. But if I have my equipment outside, then the party who is liable, like equipment doesn't drive itself. The liability is whoever's the operator. So if I have an operating entity and it does not own that equipment, there's not the exposure to the equipment. Now that equipment's always safe. And I don't know about you, but if I'm running a business and it has substantial assets, I'm worried about them taking the assets out of that business. I'm happy to take the hit on the business itself if I did something. That's what I carry insurance for. That's what I carry umbrella insurance for. And if they want to destroy my business, go for it because I still have the assets separate. Mm-hmm. I could still resurrect and, and live to fight another day. But if I have them all in one basket, it's easy for them just to take the whole basket. And that means I'm out of business and I've lost my livelihood. So this one little nuance, Josh, I think you really, I want to put a fine point on this and I don't want it to be underestimated that that, that little nuance there of isolating the asset from the entity that has that risk is so effective and huge companies do it. Fortune 500 companies do it. You mm-hmm. might remember Jeffrey from Toys R Us. He lived to fight another day because they kept the intellectual property separate, right? Mm-hmm. And you're seeing this over and over again play itself out in in, uh, in Wall Street. And uh, you, the same thing applies to, to Main Street is you can set yourself up to where even if you have a hiccup, it doesn't put you under for the duration. It's, you're still able to come and continue to operate because uh, God knows it's hard enough to start a business. The last thing you need to be worried about is, hey, what if somebody knocks me out? Is there anything else you want to hit on, Josh? Because I think that those three points are very well taken. I just have one last thing, and that is the importance of understanding what anonymity is and what it isn't. So I think a lot of people sometimes get the false impression that anonymity equals asset protection. That's not the case. Anonymity equals a smokescreen, a legal smokescreen that you can hide your assets behind so that you're not easily found. And that by itself stops a lot of lawsuits from coming and beginning in the first place. But the legal structures that undergird the anonymity are what we really want. And that's what's going to protect your assets if a challenge does get through that smokescreen or in the in the event of a legitimate business challenge or legal challenge, excuse me. That's what you want is the structure undergirding the asset protection. A lot of times clients will say, well, I don't want my anonymity to be jeopardized when they're going to get a bank account. Well, it's important to understand Bank records aren't publicly available. And if they were, the banks would have a serious data violation problem that you could sue them over. They don't want that. And so you don't have to be worried when you're going to set up a bank account about anonymity. That's not a publicly available record. However, when you're going to file a deed, buying a property or putting a lien on something or doing any of that, that is publicly available information. And so that's when anonymity becomes important. 
to set up that smokescreen to stop lawsuits from occurring. That's what anonymity is about. And it's just important to have that base level understanding so that you're not, you know, worried about talking to anyone about your business. You can still do that. It's just making sure that you understand the principle. Yeah. So uh, uh, again, I, I, the way I always look at it is anonymity is a preventative measure. But if you're in a battle, you still need to have the legal structure. There's a lot of folks out there, for example, in real estate who are advocates of, of land trust, but they don't marry them with an LLC. Right. In other words, they rely completely on the preventative measure saying that that's going to solve all your issues. And it's like, no, you're going to have issues. You're going to have situations where somebody gets injured on a property or there's liability, there's exposure. Uh, whether it be for anything that you didn't mean to do, but maybe you fell below the standard of care from a legal standpoint and you have exposure, you still need to have something there that's actually going to protect you in the event that there is a legal fight. But boy, uh, I, I cannot reiterate enough that just not letting somebody know how much you have, in other words, how much that they can take, uh, that prevents a huge chunk of the frivolous lawsuits for sure. And in the case of a legitimate lawsuit, it still gives you settlement arguments uh, to take it off the table. But at the end of the day, you have none of that if you don't have some sort of asset protection plan. So if you end up in a lawsuit, you want to make sure you have something there. And that comes with what Josh just laid out. It's creative use of entities. It's making sure that you understand where risk is in isolating assets that have value. So you're moving the stuff that's of value away from the, the, the line of fire. So that uh, it's not part of that discussion. Josh, I think you did a really good job of laying it out. And I'm going to say thank you for coming in. And uh, thanks for hitting those three really important parts about uh, keeping yourself out of the public record. How you can keep privacy. I think you nailed it. Thanks, sir. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Show notes for links to everything mentioned in this episode can be found on our website at andersonadvisors.com slash podcast. Be sure you subscribe to our podcast, and if you are already a subscriber, please provide us a review of what you thought of this episode.